Hi, this is Michelle Karen De Silva and you're listening to the Unravel podcast, a place for women to engage, encourage and edify one another to passionately live out their purpose and destiny in Jesus Christ. So grab a cup of coffee as we chat about all that's raw and real, broken and beautiful, from faith to family, vocation to wardrobes, and everything else in between that God is using of our stories to make His story known. Hello and welcome again to the Unravel podcast. Isolation, alienation, and lost identities. You know, we identify with each of these because they unfold at some point in our life. How do we respond to these lost identities? How do we cope with life when we are estranged and alienated and lonely? This and so much more on today's podcast. Today we see a life story which I'm sure is going to captivate and significantly challenge you, as it has for me. In fact, you know, I find myself recollecting timelines and truths of this story time and time again, especially when I face difficult situations. We're going to talk about the story of a woman here, and, you know, hers is a story not just for women. In fact, I think it's a story for all people, because it's a story of faith, it's a story of bravery and trust and empathy and compassion, and so many of these beautiful traits that make us human and Christ-like in nature. It's a story of Ruth, and I'm sure you've encountered this uh, story. It's a beautiful story unfolded in the Old uh, Testament. And what I find very fascinating about this story, you know, I find it very intriguing uh, to know that one of the first things that we encounter about Ruth's, uh, you know, is her identity. But unlike, you know, the kind of identity we would have liked to see, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, who she really is, uh, you know, a daughter, a precious person, a woman with a dream, a woman with potential and future, rather than all of these uh, identities, pages of scripture point us to something that she has inherited through life's circumstances, especially through, you know, being married. And now these label her. And in some ways, they kind of impose an identity on her. You know, she's marked as a woman. You know, the pages unfold, and she's a widow. She's childless. She's outcast, poor, obscure, isolated, alienated, to name just a few. Even long after heroes of the story are, you know, well acquainted with who Ruth is and where she comes from, long after she is living in Judah, she continues to be referred as Ruth the Moabite, or sometimes merely the Moabite woman. That's her identity, you know, the Moabite woman. And so she, clearly she is a foreigner. And I think about, you know, I'm thinking about her life, and I think about how in our life, you know, when we are displaced and we feel, uh, you know, alienated, it's interesting, uh, you know, the theme of alienation and isolation is not something that we pick up only when we're adults. In fact, I think it's one of the, you know, the first biggest milestones that we have to overcome as children. If you're, you know, an introvert, you probably remember the first bit of your first day at class, not knowing anyone, or your first day at cafeteria. It's like, you know, we call it like the introvert's, you know, day at hell, because your heart is racing trying to find someone, you know. And your heart is sinking, you know, trying to find and discover, you know, is there a seat at the table for you? And oftentimes there's a seat at the table, but there's no place for you. 
And it's interesting to see that the sense of belonging, you know, this thing to identify with or to fit in, you know, to find comfort with knowing you're valued and accepted is ingrained in our very fabric ever since we are three and four years old, perhaps even younger than that. And it's no secret that we intuitively know when we are used. You know, we just know that, especially as women, we know when we're taken advantage of and when we're abused. You know when someone is trying to just lure you, you know, to get something from you rather than to give you. We know that. As women, we know that. As humans, we know that. We know when someone is trying to take advantage of us, when someone is trying to get close to us and someone is trying to, you know, utter sweet nothings in our ears because they want something. We just intuitively know when we are used. We just intuitively know when we are ignored, when we are a misfit, when we are displaced, when we are alienated. We know that. We know all of these things because ingrained inside of us is that space, is that void, we call it, you know, this God-sized hole, as we call it, that God himself has created to belong. And so you and I, we both know that we, we come into this world with this God-sized hole to belong to God alone. And all through life, we navigate, you know, through the, through the proximities of life, through difficult circumstances, through the tragedies of life. You know, we're looking, we're looking, we're, we're hunting, we're trying to uh, try to fill that void and the, the sense of belonging that we feel deep. In, it's like an angst, you know, it's like a pang inside that every single human feels, no matter where you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how accomplished you are in life, there is an angst inside of us to want to belong, to want to find a place of rest. And so the beginning pages of Ruth, uh, you know, they're filled with, you know, she's a foreigner, she's a Moabite, she does not belong to God's people, you know, she's not a Jew. And so there's a sense of estrangement. Uh, and then the narrative tells us, you know, when she's married, she has to move location. But she doesn't just move geographically, she also moves sort of from her mind, uh, you know, she's also moving, uh, you know, proximities from her mind and her heart because she's transitioning into many things that, are, that were not part of her life before. And so not only is she uh, a foreigner geographically, but she's also, uh, you know, entering into a new life that is very foreign to her, you know, their family, their culture, their heritage, and of course, their God. And there's a movement in her life, and we can see that, you know, and movements involve change, as we know. You know, there's a movement from the old to the new, from known to unknown, from familiar to foreign. And oftentimes these movements into new things, you know, they bring uh, insecurity and fear because they give us a sense of, I don't belong here. Or there's these things that are, you know, not in our control. We move to a place and we don't have control anymore. And wherever we don't have control, you know, we experience fear. And not only was Ruth's life altered with movement into a geographical foreign place, so to say, but it was also tragically altered when her new family was struck with a famine, killing her husband and all of the other members of the family except her mother-in-law. And so now she's not only displaced, you know, out of a sense of belonging, but she now has nothing to hold on to. As a Jewish, uh, you know, in Jewish culture, uh, you know, she lost her husband. And in Jewish culture, when you lost a husband, you lost everything, which means she's now childless. She's lost her dignity. She's lost her worth and her right standing in society. And so Ruth was in a place of lack. She's in a season of, you know, deep lack, a season where the world around her was crumbling. And she looked around and she saw no glimpse of harvest. 
you know, no reason to stay. She found no reason to jeopardize her future as a young woman because she had every reason to return to, you know, her place uh, where she could start a life again. She was a young woman. She had a bright future. Uh, she had potential inside of her. She could make anything out of it. In fact, it is Naomi who recognizes the potential in her and who sees a plight. You know, this is a young woman with a bright future. Surely she can go back and find someone to marry and have children and have a fruitful life. But she refuses to return. And that's the, that's the beauty of the story. She refuses to go back to her old life. Because in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of what surrounds her and envelops her, she discovers a kind of light that might have been foreign to her intellectually, but it was a kind of light that drew her into that sense of belonging that she had never even experienced in her own Moab tribe. And this light, my dear friends, you know, this beckoning, this invitation, this sense of comfort, this belonging, it was right there, right where she was, and it gave her that sense of feeling wanted, feeling valued, and feeling accepted, and, and feeling like she belonged. And she made that choice, in that sense of belonging, to stay. And you see, in that choice, Ruth doesn't just choose to stay with Naomi, her mother-in-law. Ruth actually chooses Naomi's God. That's the light flickering into her soul. That's the truth that was surrounded. That's, that's the truth in her, in, her, in her environment. She was hearing stories of Israel's God, stories of his faithfulness, stories of his goodness, stories of the love of a, of a God who, who relentlessly pursues his people, a God who parts the Red Seas, a God who is willing to go through great lands to deliver and rescue and be there for his people. That's the, that's the truth that she was surrounded with. And so she might have been a foreigner to Israel, but in that truth environment, she discovered that she was not foreign to the God of Israel who welcomed her and gave her a seat at the table. And generations later, this God would be seen walking and talking and dining and sitting with sinners and outcasts just like her the marginalized, the foreigners, and the forgotten. And so it's a great glimpse. It's actually a great grim glimpse. It's like a foretaste of what was to come, of the time when Jesus would come and he would embrace the ones who are least in society, those who are marginalized, those who are forgotten, those who can be easily forgotten because of their ethnic ethnicity or their race or the color of their skin or just their social economic standing. That truth that truth gave Ruth the courage to make the choice. And she says that in Ruth 1 verse 16, she says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. And your God will be my God. In fact, ironically, it is Ruth, the Moabite, whose voice is the first in the story to call on the divine name. After her resolute declaration of loyalty to her mother-in-law, Ruth you know, adds the plea. She says, may the Lord, you see, she was a foreigner. She didn't even know that this is the terminology of the God of Israel, but she was embedded in a truth environment. And she says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. It is a foreigner, my dear friends, who took Yahweh to be her God and called on this God accordingly. 
In fact, it is this foreigner whose adoption into God's presence can be traced in blood all the way to the throne of David and to the reign of Christ. Ruth the Moabite, you know, is, is forever remembered as an outsider. Yes, that's what we know of her. But at the same time, she's remembered as a woman with a crucial link to the Son of God. She would become the great-great-grandmother of King David. What's great about Ruth, uh, you know, the story, what's great about any story in Scripture is that these stories, you know, they give us voice. They give voice to our sense of homelessness, you know, our sense of alienation and isolation. In these stories, we feel a sense of being seen, known, and heard. But more than anything, these stories provide comfort because they offer us a compelling call of welcome, a compelling to return home. You see, my dear friends, it's no secret that life can sometimes impose alienation upon us. I mean, we all go through circumstances in life where we find ourselves isolated and downcast and feeling forgotten. There are times when we feel like a foreigner even in our own homes. And so Ruth's story is a truth reminder that not only there is hope in alienation, but it is a call to return to the God of hope. That call is imminent because that call is imperative in our life as Christians. Because to return, you see, requires courage. To return requires grace. But how beautiful is the truth that we lack neither. And it's so important that we reflect on truths, you know, on Ruth's decision to not retreat, but to return to God. To not succumb to the lies of the enemy, but to listen to the truth of God's word that tells us we do belong that we will always belong to God. Because you see what happens in our estrangement, you see when we are displaced and we are isolated and we are alienated, what the enemy loves to do when we are alienated, lost and feeling lost is that he enters into our tangled thoughts. He whispers his lies and he elevates our sense of loneliness. His lies make us focus inward on ourselves, our worth, the labels that we carry because of our isolation. And in that sense of, you know, the loss of who we are, we lose a sense of truth of where we belong and who we are to God. The enemy loves that. He loves to enter into those deep voids, into those pockets, into those empty spaces of isolation so he can flirt with discouragement and defeat there. The enemy knows that he, if he can isolate us, he can intimidate us, he can confuse us, he can deceive us. Ultimately, he can convict us to believe that the safer paths in life are the ones apart from God. And so the most important thing that we learn from roots alive is that we return to God. We return to the truth when we feel alienation and loneliness. Roots God is our God. He is the God of Israel. He is our God. And when we embrace him, we embrace his truth in our lives. And when we embrace truth, we cease to become strangers because with this kind of God who has gone to great lengths to ensure that we just belong, we know, we know that we know that we will always find seat at his table. We sing that beautiful song by Don Moen, you know, feasting at his table, surrounded by his glory. And so, friends, you know, it's a great opportunity to remember just that. That roots God is our God. You know, the labels of our past, the, the identities that have been imposed upon us because of our failures and mistakes, they don't have to define us. Your past does not have to define you. 
Your past is not your final destination. When you make the choice to return to God in your estrangement and loneliness, you can always find him waiting there for you first. It's like how he waited for the disciples on the shore of Galilee when they were lost, when they were estranged, when they were alienated from his will and purpose. He was there like the morning dawn waiting for them first. And that is we can, what we can always be assured of with our God that we may be foreigners to a world around us. We may be foreign to the life around us, the environment around us, sometimes even foreign in our own soul, but we can never be foreign to God in whose image and likeness we are created. This God loves us and knows us so intimately. And so if you sense a longing to belong, if you feel the weight of being estranged, then to be very honest with you, it's also a manifestation that we belong elsewhere, that we don't fit in, that we're not made for this world, as C.S. Lewis says. We wait and we long for a world where we fully belong. But here and now, on this side of eternity, God gives us the privilege. He gives us the grace and the gift of belonging to him fully through the life in the indwelling presence of his spirit. You see, the life of a foreigner named Ruth, it tells us how great actually is the longing of God for us, that God desires to see each one of us enter into the place where he is so we can fully belong to him. And sometimes, you know, friends, it takes alienation and displacement and the famine of life to discover that. What's beautiful is that Ruth means friendly companion, and it's so comforting that even before Ruth could discover alienation, before she could discover that she was a foreigner, she was marked with that name. She was marked with companionship. She was marked to belong. Even before the foundations of the world came to be, she was marked for companionship. She was marked to be a great companion. And that is what we see in the story, that as she embraces her call to belong to the God of Israel, as she embraces her call to live in companionship with the God of Israel, she becomes a great companion to her mother-in-law, Naomi. As God fills and the light of God pierces her heart, and the love of God that is so fierce, so bold, so courageous enters her heart, this love infuses every lonely space within her to not just embrace her new life and her new family, but also to stick to them when she had every reason to fend for herself first. You see, my dear friends, God's love is a powerful antidote to alienation and isolation and loneliness. It, it has the power it has the power to fill the empty spaces of our hearts. It has the power to propel us into our destiny. It has the power to propel us to become channels of this love and grace to others. Only God's love can give us the blessed assurance, the confidence that we will always, always have a seat at the table. And my encouragement for you today through this story is that you will allow God's love to come in and invade the alienated, disintegrated spaces of your heart, the parts of your heart that are broken, the parts that are disconnected from one another. You see, God is in the business of fixing our hearts. He's the great physician. He just doesn't know the solution. He, he knows the diagnosis. He knows us from the root up. And you may feel like a foreigner in your space today, but you're not foreign to God. 
And I encourage you to embrace this truth today. Make that courageous decision to return to Him. See your name marked with companionship like it did with Ruth. See your life marked with purpose and a rich destiny like it did hers. Embrace that decision to return and discover a life filled with purpose and grace.